This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Think of all the dogs you've read or heard about through the years who were famous for their deeds of daring do. Hmm? Lassie, Rin Tin Tin, Old Yeller come to mind? Well, let's go back to 1949 for a radio show that starred a dog in the leading role, Yukon King, the brave husky that protected Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police and his mythical adventures, thrilling audiences from 1938 to 1958. The radio show was originally entitled Challenge of the Yukon and debuted locally in 1938 on WXYZ, a fabled radio station in Detroit, Michigan. Each episode ran 15 minutes. The series moved to network radio and a nationwide audience in 1947, where the episodes were expanded to 30 minutes. Series changed its name to Sergeant Preston of the Yukon in 1951. Series took place in the 1890s at the height of the gold rush in the Klondike. Scripps mentioned actual towns in the area, which are still in existence today. Tonight's episode's entitled Million Dollar Deadline. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. One King, one, you huskies! Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon, a stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. Fellas and girls, I'll bet there isn't a single one of you who doesn't like dogs, or that doesn't envy Sergeant Preston, his wonder dog and loyal companion, King. What's more... Maybe you've your own dog who is dear to your heart. Or maybe you'd like to own a dog someday. Well, if you like dogs, whatever you do, keep listening. Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the swell-tasting breakfast cereal shot from guns, brings you an almost unbelievable offer in just a few minutes. The old man was dying. There was no doubt about that. But there was still a vital spark in the gray eyes beneath the bushy eyebrows. He made an impatient gesture with his left hand. Here. Here, Torrance. Push another pillow in back of me so I can sit up and read. Why, of course, Josh. 
Yeah, how's that? Eh, it'll, it'll do. Now stand aside so I can see Jenkins. The will's all ready for your signature, Mr. Wilson. Who, who's that standing over in the corner? <clears throat> Tom Langdon, Judge. Torrance said I was to come in and be a witness. Oh, all right. You, you got everything the way I told you, Jenkins? Yes, sir. Do you want me to read it to you? I can still read. Give it to me. Yes, sir. I don't know anything about that niece and nephew of mine, but I made my fortune in the Yukon, and if the Yukon's too good for them, then they can't have any part of it. It's all just as you told me, sir. They must claim their inheritance in person in Dawson before May 31st of next year. Yeah, I see. They'll have to make the winter trek from Skagway. It'll do them good. Show them what their uncle went through. Make them appreciate what they're getting. If the trail's too tough for them, they don't deserve any sourdough money. Yeah. Yeah, well, what's all, what's all this small writing down at the bottom? Oh, that's just in case the Martin boy and girl don't fulfill your terms. It sets up the hospital trust with Mr. Torrance as the executor. I can't read it. Well, it's exactly as we talked All about. right, I'm not interested. If my kin don't deserve the mine, I don't care where it goes. Give me a pen. Here, Here sir. Yeah. There. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. For what? You sign right here, Mr. Torrance. I see. Now, Mr. Langdon. All right. You don't mind my not leaving you anything, do you, Tom? What do I need with money? <laughs> I thought that's the way you'd feel about it. You'd rather trap than mine. Still, you're about the only friend I've got. Take care of the young ones for me. Hey, hey, we'll judge. And you do a good job of running the mine for him, Torrance. Why, of course I will. Thank you, Mr. Langdon. Well, that about concludes our business, Mr. Wilson. No doubt about it. You and Torrance clear out. Yes, Mr. Wilson. Tom? Yes? Sit here beside me. And we'll, we'll talk about old times. Yes, yes. It was shortly after that that the old man dropped into a sleep from which he never woke. On the following day, Mike Torrance appeared in Silas Jenkins' law office. Well, just take the precaution of locking the door. Then we can be sure no one will interrupt us. Sit down, Mike. Yeah. Are you sure everything's okay? Would you like to see the will? Yes. All right. Here you are. Hey, I didn't get much of a chance to look at it while I was signing my name yesterday. <laughs> oh, and neither did Mr. Langdon, you can be sure of that. Yeah, but the old man might have caught you up. I made the writing in the last clause very small purposely. And after all, it was very simple, mere matter of leaving out a few words. Mm, the old man had been stronger, though. We counted on his condition, didn't we? Now, if the boy and girl don't appear in Dawson before the last of May, the mine will go to you. And there's no reason why they should appear because, of course, they'll never be notified. It's safe to say the property will be yours and mine. I believe I deserve my share. Well, there's still a chance things might go wrong. How? Well, Langdon, he knows the old man didn't intend to leave anything to me. The will is perfectly in order. It can't be broken. Yeah, but what if he gets word to the Martin kids? Well, that was left in my hands. Well, just to Watch him by all means, Mike. Make sure he doesn't do anything to interfere with our plans. I will. You can depend on that. 
But two months later, Torrance paid another visit to Jenkins' office. And this time, his face was twisted with anger. What's the matter with you, Torrance? Everything. That fool of a Johnson. Control yourself. I told him to make sure, to make absolutely sure. Keep your voice down. Now tell me what's happened. You heard Johnson yourself. He said he followed Langdon back to his cabin in the mountains. Of course. Right after the funeral. Well, Langdon didn't stay there. Red Gannon's just back from Skagway, and you saw him get on board the Northern Pride. He's on his way to Seattle. He's here for now. Wait, wait. You're sure of this? Red saw him. I still say control yourself. There are people passing outside. But he's gone after those cursed kids. He'll bring them back with him. It's a long way from Seattle to Dawson, Mike. Well, it's only the end of March. They'll have plenty of time to make it. There are ways of stopping them. Huh? And Red might be the man to do it. No, we can afford to hire more than one man, Mike. Get half a dozen. Pay them well. To do what? To go to Skagway. To wait there. To watch for Tom Langdon and Ted and Mary Martin. And if they show up, to stop them from getting any farther. Skagway's a rough town. Should be easy to stop them there. And if not, there are 650 miles of the most dangerous trail in the world between Skagway and Dawson. Red and the men you hire will have plenty of opportunity. To kill them? To keep them from reaching here by the end of May. (laughs) We'll just let Red use his own methods. Yeah. He'll do it. I'll offer him a thousand dollars. He's killed men for less than that. The Northern Pride docked at Skagway on the 20th of April. And standing on the deck where they would be the first down the gangplank were Tom Langdon and Ted and Mary Lou Martin. Are we really in the Yukon? Well, not yet, Ted. But I left my team in town. We'll be through White Pass by tomorrow. Then you'll be in the territory. They're getting ready to lower the gang. Ah, stay close behind me, you two. I don't want to lose you in that crowd on the dock. Oh, don't you worry. The old trapper led the way down the gangplank. Just as he stepped onto a dock, a shot rang up. Oh. Oh. Uncle Tom! He's been shot. Help! Help somebody! Uncle Tom! Where are you hit? My leg. I'm not done for. Not by a long ways. But I may be laid up for a while. Now, I don't want you to stop here with me. I want you to go on. Why? Why, what are you talking about? Somebody help me lift him. Carry him over to that building. I'll give you a hand with him. Go on. Oh, he's fainted. Right. Easy now. As if we dream of leaving him. It was a week later that Sergeant Preston, on duty at the Northwest Mounted Post at White Pass, saw a dog team struggling up the slope toward the summit. Yes, King, I see. Harness is tangled. Come on, boy, we'll straighten it out. Oh, tangle up, Ted. We'll have to straighten out the prison. I'll do that. Sergeant Preston. Tom Langdon. What's the matter with you? Why are you riding the sled? Well, I was shot in the leg down the skagway. But it's all right now. I want you to meet Ted and Mary Martin. How do you do, sir? They're Josh Wilson's niece and nephew. They're on the way up to Dawson. But Josh is dead. Yes, I know. I got quite a story to tell you. Oh, I can wait till we get to the customs house. Let me take over, Ted, and we'll have you there in no time. Make the team behave while I go to work on the harness, King. The team was untangled, and King broke the trail for them up to the custom house. There, Tom was carried inside and made comfortable near the stove. And there, he told his story. I realized there wasn't any mention of the hospital in that will at all. And if Mary and Ted didn't get the mine, Torrance would. I'd never liked him, never trusted him. 
So I just decided to go down to Seattle and bring the kids back myself. Dad, uh, you received no notice of your uncle's death. Not until Uncle Tom arrived. Who shot you down in Skagway, Tom? They couldn't find him. <clears throat> well, there was a crowd on the dock. I did see Red Ganyon down there while we were still on deck. He's been on Torrance's payroll from time to time. You think he may have done it? Well, it's possible. But the important thing is to get these kids to Dawson before the 31st of May. Is it too late, Sergeant? I don't know. You shouldn't have stayed with me, kids. We couldn't leave you alone. There's still a month. Yes, but the trail's in terrible condition. Once you got down to the level of the lakes, the snow's slushy and the ice is rotten. But the lakes haven't broken up yet. No, and if you wait for them to be free of ice and travel by boat all the way, well, there'd be no chance of making it in time. They've got to, Sergeant. Well, just a minute, I'm thinking... Well? It'll be dangerous. What have you got in mind? You'll stay here, Tom. No, no. I can't let them go on alone. I'll go with them instead. Now, listen. We'll travel across the ice on Lake Bennett and Tagish and Marsh Lake until we get to the 50-mile river. There's open water in Miles Canyon. We'll have to portage around it. Yeah? Below the canyon, I'll have to hope the ice will still hold us so we can cross over the left bank. I'll follow the trail along the White Horse Rapids to Lake Labarge. I'll pick up a canoe there. The 30-mile river's open, so is the Lewis and the Yukon. If you can get to Lake Labarge... If, that's the big question. If the ice will hold us below Miles Canyon. We must get over to the left bank there, or we'll be held up for days. Ted, Mary, how soon can you start? Anytime. Right away. As soon as I harness my team, then. Let's go, King. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Boy, oh boy, just look. Oh, gee, they're out of this world. Yes, kids, how would you like to own a complete set of 35 different dog picture cards like these? Gosh, would I ever. Me too. Their official challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. Why, they're better than any trading cards I've ever seen. And they're stiff back. And just feel them. They're the same shiny finish as game cards. And say, just look at these dogs. Billy, those are real photographs in full color. And every single dog is a real dog. And they're brand new photographs, too. Oh, gosh. I've never seen anything so pretty as this Irish setter. He's champion Charles River Color Sergeant. Voted best in show at the recent 9th Annual International Kennel Club Dog Show in Chicago. Boy, I like that Irish wolfhound. Billy, did you know this breed is the world's biggest dog? Standing on his legs, he reaches over six feet high. Here, look. On the back of every card, Sergeant Preston gives a description of each dog. Gosh, it says on this card that the Chihuahua weighs as little as one pound. Why, you could hold him right in the palm of your hand. Hey, look it. Here's King. Gosh, what a dog. Oh, boy. What I would give to own a dog like that. (laughs) Well, kids, it's so easy to get these Challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. Nothing to it. And they don't cost you a single extra penny. Look, here's all you do. Get to your grocer. Buy Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. Oh, gosh. They're my favorite cereal. Well, inside each package, you'll find two cards like these. Two cards? Right, Billy. Not one, but two dog picture cards. Gee, if we got two packages, one of each kind, we'd have four different cards. Right, Sandra. Quick as a wink. Boy, I'm wasting no time. I'm starting my collection right now. Yes, there's no waiting, no delay, nothing to send in, no money, no box stops. Simply go to your grocer. Ask for Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. Inside each package, get two Keen Dog Picture Cards. There are 35 different cards in all. Get the entire set. They're new, they're different. And you can get them only with Quaker Puffed Wheat 
and Quaker puffed rice. Save them, trade them. It's easy, it's fun. Now to continue our story. Half an hour after Sergeant Preston had made his decision to escort the Martin boy and girl to Dawson, the little party was on the trail. Mary rode the sled, and Ted helped the sergeant control his descent from the top of the pass. King was working as a loose lead, breaking the trail for the team. Night had fallen by the time they reached the shores of Lake Bennett. Oh, looking! Hello! You gonna make camp here, Sergeant? Only long enough to eat. You tired, Mary? No, Sergeant. Just a little cold. I got a fire started. It was spring when we left home. Now it's winter again. It's the beginning of spring up here. Notice how soft the snow is? Yes, but the lake's still frozen. The ice isn't to be trusted. I wouldn't attempt crossing it without King in the lead. However, it's better at night than during the day, and that's why we're going to keep on. There'll be a moon and the northern lights. We'll rest in the morning. Now, uh, how about helping me get some wood, then? Sure thing. Of course, King. You can come along, boy. Supper was eaten, and as the moon rose, they started out again, across the frozen surface of the lake. It was nothing like travel during the middle of the winter when King would have set a steady six-mile-hour pace directly ahead. Now he moved slowly, testing every foot of ice, realizing that it must not only carry his own weight, but the weight of the sled and the men behind him. Sometimes he kept close to the shore. At others, he avoided it. Often he reversed his course swiftly as an ominous cracking and rumbling explained the reason. All right, Mary. But it sounds as if the ice were breaking up. Behind us, not ahead. The great dog brought them through, across Lake Bennett, across Lake Tagish and Marsh Lake, and on to the 50-mile river. But what would have been a day's travel in winter took them nearly a week. And then, as they were nearing Miles Canyon, disaster struck. What's the matter, boy? He's stopping. He looks as if he wants to head for shore, but he won't. Why not? There's your answer. The ice is cracking up ahead of us. It's cracking up all around us. Now don't try to move. He knows what's best. Then he does it. That's open water ahead, Sergeant. I can see water behind us, too. Well, this piece of ice we're on is moving. Steady. It's thick enough to hold us. But won't it break up sooner or later? Look at the way the current's taking us. Toward the shore. Yes, and the ice is still solid there. We'll break up when we hit it. I'll have to move fast, Ted. Watch King and be ready to give me a hand with that sled. We're going to hit. The ice flow ground into the solid shore ice. King and the dogs leaped forward. Oh, Ted. The sergeant and Ted put their shoulders to the sled. And a moment later, they had reached solid ground on the bank. Oh, dear. That was a close one. King slipped for once. Oh, Ted. He's been trying to reach this bank ever since we entered the river. Why? What's the matter with the left bank? Look ahead there. See the cliffs on either side? That's Miles Canyon. The only land trail around it's on this side. He knew that? He knows the Yukon Vale better than I do. Now what do we do? Rest a little while, then Ted and I'll pack our supplies on our backs. You'll have to make the portage on foot, Mary. I'm not tired at all. What's beyond the portage? We have to cross the river again. But how? I must hope the ice hasn't gone below the canyon. Oh, but it must have. No, not necessarily. The river doesn't flow as swiftly down below. But the sooner we get there, the better. The portage was made. When they stood on the banks of the river once again below the canyon, the sergeant tested the ice. It's covered with water, sergeant. Yes, about a foot deep, and the ice is rotten. I honestly don't know. I'll have to leave it up to King. How about it, boy? Will it hold us? Shall we go on? On, King? 
great dog understood. It was a familiar command, but this time it was phrased as a question, and he was ready with the answer. He started across the river, and the team followed him as a matter of course. Here we go. You first, Mary. All right. Oh. We got a fire lighted as soon as we hit the other side. It was a dangerous crossing. The ice was rotten, but they reached the other side of the river. It would have been impossible half an hour later, for as they were drying their mucklucks and warming their feet, the breakup came. There she goes. Wow. Are we lucky? We're lucky to have King with us. Good work, fella. I guess you know who's really in charge here, don't you? You'll take care of us, won't you, King? They followed the trail along the banks of the White Horse Rapids to Lake LaBarge and the Northwest Mounted Post on its shores. There, the sergeant arranged to leave his sled and his team and to borrow a canoe. But the constable in charge of the post had some disturbing news. I wish we'd known about this day before yesterday. Known about what? That Red Ganyon was suspected of shooting Langdon in Skagway. No real evidence against him. No, but at least we could have held him for questioning. Held him? That's what I mean. He and five other men have been camping near the end of the lake. They bought a boat, and when the ice and 30 Mile broke up, they started out. Day before yesterday. Well, if Tom's guess was correct, and Torrance has hired Red to keep Ted and Mary from reaching Dawson and He time. may be waiting for you somewhere along the river. You may run into an ambush. Could be. We'll be warned, though. What? How? King's traveling with us. Ganyon would like nothing better than to pull a bullet through you. We'll keep a sharp lookout, won't we, King? The following morning, the sergeant and King, Ted and Mary, climbed into their canoe and started down the 30-mile river. The current was swift, and big black boulders rose menacingly above the surface of the water. Only the sergeant's strength and skill kept the fragile craft from crashing into them. There's some more rocks on your left, sergeant. Yes, I see. You keep that rifle ready and watch the bank. Remember what I told you about Red Ganyon. I'm watching. On and on they raced with the stream. The days passed. The Lewis was left behind, and now they had reached the broad sweep of the Yukon River. Past Selkirk and on to Stewart. But time was growing short, and the sergeant and Ted paddled hard from dawn to dusk. It was the 27th of May, then the 28th, then the 29th. And when they made camp that night, the sergeant knew it would be the last time he would have a chance to sleep until Dawson was reached. Ted and Mary might be able to sleep in the canoe, but he would have to keep paddling steadily if Dawson were to be reached by midnight of the 31st. King was sleeping near his master, but as always, even though his eyes were closed, his senses seemed to be alert to danger. He suddenly woke up, growling. There was nothing to be seen beyond the campfire except the canoe drawn up on the beach. But King knew there was someone close, some stranger. Then the great dog saw a shadowy figure moving swiftly toward the canoe. King leaped up and raced toward the water's edge. There was a flash of steel in the moonlight. The man was carrying an axe. He raised it high and was about to smash the fragile hull when King hit him. The axe was knocked from the man's grasp and slid down to the water's edge. King! What is it, Sergeant? What's happened? Someone down by our canoe. King's caught him. Take him off me! Take him off! All right, King, I've got him covered. Get up, you. At the sergeant's command, the great dog allowed the man to get up. Then he raced down to the water to retrieve the axe. Uh, I was just walking along. I wasn't doing anything. What's that you've got, King? An axe. It isn't mine. Don't lie. March. Up to the campfire. I wasn't doing anything, Sergeant. King didn't give you a chance. March. Who is it, Sergeant? His name is Steve Sykes. 
putting him under arrest for shooting Tom Langdon. Oh, you know better than that, Sergeant. You know it wasn't me. You were with Red Gunyon when he fired the shot. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't make me responsible. Where is Red? He went on. I left you behind to try to stop us? I didn't know you were with these kids, Sergeant. Answer me. You were left behind to try to stop us? I wasn't going to hurt you with the kids any. But you knew if you put a hole in that canoe, it would be worth a fortune to Mike Torrance. I don't know anything about Mike Torrance. Steve, you've got just one chance to keep out of jail, and that's to come clean. All right, Sergeant. I'll tell you anything you want to know, anything I can tell you. The first thing is I lied about Red. He hasn't gone on? No, camp's on the point in the woods about a half mile from here. We saw you stopping this afternoon. You sent me to wreck your boat, that's true. But if I didn't manage it, why... Well, tomorrow you'd never have got past the point. So Red is still ready to commit murder to stop us. Yeah. You're going to lead me to his camp, Steve. All right. That's the way you want it. You want me to come too, Sergeant? No, Ted. Wait here for ten minutes. And I want you and Mary to get in the canoe and paddle to the other side of the river. Get as close to the bank as you can and let the current carry you down past the point. This man said they'd shoot at us. By the time you're opposite the point... I'll either have made my arrest, or Red and his men will be so occupied with the woods behind them, they won't be able to watch the river. Do you think there'll be a fight? There may be. Maybe that Red will win. But even if he does, you and Mary will be out of his reach. If you keep at it, you'll make Dawson in time. We will. But you, Sergeant... This is all part of my job, Mary. Come on, Steve. Quiet, King. Our only chance is to take them by surprise. Two days passed. And at ten minutes of twelve on the night of the 31st, Mike Torrance and Silas Jenkins were together in the lawyer's office on Front Street, preparing to celebrate their inheritance. How about a drink, Mike? I'll wait till 12 before I drink. Why, you don't think anything can go wrong now? I'll wait. (laughs) I wonder when we'll hear about the accident. Uh, What accident? Why, the one that Red arranged. wonder how he managed it. Uh, Who's that? No idea. It could be Red. Take a look out the window and see before you unlock the door. Right. Well, it's a young fellow and a girl. Who are they? I don't know. I never saw them before. But suppose it's a Martins. I'll let them in. Are you Silas Jenkins? Yes. I'm Ted Martin. This is my sister, Mary. How do you do? How'd you get here? Why, by canoe. Aren't you going to ask us in? Yes, yes, come in. You don't have to be told why we're here, Mr. Jenkins. Uh, I'm Mike Torrance. It's too bad you're late. Well, what do you mean? That clock says five minutes of twelve. Oh, the clock is slow. Yeah, here's the right time. My watch. Five minutes past twelve. What does yours say, Silas? Uh, five minutes past, of course. It is too bad that you should come all this way for nothing. You're certainly proving that Tom Langdon was right. Right? That you're crooks, the pair of you. You've done everything in your power to keep us from getting here on time. And now that you've lost the game, you're still trying to cheat us. But we haven't lost. You'll find that out in court. I'll take a look at your watch, Jenkins. Uh, you haven't had time to set it ahead. Let go of me. There. Look at it, Mary. Five minutes of. We'll see what the court has to say to that. You're covered, mister. Oh, so you realize the bluff won't work. There was no one out in the street. No one who could have seen them come in here, Silas. Same thought occurred to me. What are you going to do? Kill us? You're going to disappear, young man. You and your sister. You'll never be heard of again. I wonder if you have the nerve to shoot. You'll find out when the right time comes. Can't do it here. Of course not. I'll take them down to the river. Now, come on, let's get started. We'd better not argue with that gun, Mary. Come on. 
well, hello, King. And the sergeant. Oh, hey, hey, sergeant. Fancy meeting you here. Sergeant Preston. Yes, Torrance. I'll take that gun. Sergeant, did you hear them? I heard everything. Torrance, you're under arrest, and so are you, Jenkins. What's the charge? I have no gun. You didn't hear me make any threat? Red Ganyon's in jail, and he's confessed that you and Torrance hired him. That makes you an accessory to attempted murder. Attempted murder? Langdon? Yes, but he's all right now. And there's also an item of conspiracy to defraud. Langdon's testimony will clinch that. Jenkins, you and Torrance are going to jail for a long, long time. This case is closed. In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Friday's adventure. Fellas and girls, you all know that Yukon King is the greatest husky in the North Country. You know he's gentle yet strong, and always at his master, Sergeant Preston's side when danger threatens. But say, do you know what King really looks like? And wouldn't you like to have a beautiful, full-color picture of King? And what's more, have it on a real stiff-backed trading card? Well, then waste no time. Start today. Collect official challenge of the Yukon Dog Picture Cards. There are 35 different cards in all. Each features a famous breed of dog. Remember, you now get at no extra cost two, that's two, of these dog picture cards inside each package of delicious Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. These cards are that easy to get. Save them, trade them, collect them all. Start now. Ask for Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and edited by Fran Stryker. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from gun. Listen Friday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the Skagway Mail. When the Skagway mail sled pulled into the police post at Indian River, the driver was lying across the mail sacks, wounded and unconscious. In trying to find the men who had shot him, I had only one clue, an oddly marked footprint. It led me into a trap, a trap that nearly cost me my life. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Friday. This is J. Michael wishing you goodbye, good luck, and good health from Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. So long. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for The Baby Snook Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fanny Bryce to star in The Baby Snook Show, where tonight, Daddy cures Snooks from lying. The Fanny Bryce Show, starring Fanny Bryce as Baby Snooks, Danny Thomas as Jerry Dingle, Hanley Stafford as Daddy, and with music by Carmen Dragon and his orchestra. Well, it's a clear, crisp morning in Sycamore Terrace, and down the street come the brisk steps of that gay young man in gray, Danny Thomas, in the role of Jerry Dingle, postman. (laughs) 
Good morning, Mrs. Stackpole. Let's see, where's that letter I had for you? Hello, Jerry. Are you going to read me your latest postcard from Irma? Oh, this time I can't, Mrs. Stackpole. The postcard was marked personal. But, Jerry, a postcard can't be personal. Anybody can read it. Oh, not this postcard. Irma sent it in an envelope. <laughs> where's that letter? Smith, 853 East, Dr. Klump, care of Dr. Anderson. Say, Mr. Stackpole, did you ever hear of Dr. Klump? Dr. Klump? Yeah. Oh, why, he's that famous psychiatrist. Jerry, you ought to let him psychoanalyze you. Probably cost you $100, but you'd be another man. I'd have to be another man to pay him $100. <laughs> Where's that letter? Can't find it, huh? Well, as a matter of fact, Mrs. Stackpole, I didn't have a letter. i just like to stop by here and talk with you. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Tremble. How's the drugstore business? Ah... What's the matter? A lot of people sick in bed with colds. Business should be great. <laughs> Put the packages on the counter. Oh, oh hello, Snooksy. She's cute. Hello, Mr. Dingle. What are you doing here, honey? Oh, drinking sodas and buying candy. Huh. Having fun, huh? Want to hear a joke? Is it funny? Well, when I ask you a question, you have to say, more money? All right. Okay, here we go. Snooks, did you know I just got a raise? More money? No, more mail. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you think it's funny? More money? No, the joke is over. <laughs> That's all. Why don't you let the kid alone? She's having a good time. Go on home, Snooks. Mm, goodbye, Mr. Trumbull. Goodbye, Mr. Dingle. Bye, Snooks. Mm, more money. More mail. Kills me. Trimble Drugstore. Oh, hello, Mr. Higgins. Yes, yes, Snooks was just here. Cigars? No, she bought ice cream sodas and some candy. What? Well, don't get excited, Mr. Higgins. Calm down. She told... Well, what do you know, Jerry? He hung up. Sounds mighty angry, too. Looks like trouble at the Higgins' house. I better follow Snooks and see. <laughs> Snooks? Oh, Snooks? Is that you, dear? Uh-huh. Well, don't stand there, darling. Come inside. I'm very glad to see you. You are? I certainly am. You feel all right, Daddy? Hi. Snooks, it's now a quarter past eleven. Since when does it take you an hour and a quarter to go to Tremble's Drugstore and back? Since ten o'clock. I see. Oh, by the way, did you bring my cigars? Your cigars? Yes. I sent you for them, remember? Where are they? I dropped them. Oh, you dropped them? I mean, you dropped them. Where? And where, might I ask, did you drop them? Well, I'm waiting. Well, I'm thinking. Then think up a good one. Where did you drop the cigars? I dropped them up a tree. Now we're up a tree. Ow. Oh, stop that. How did you happen to be up this tree? A big rhinoceros chased me. Oh, how quaint. I never thought we'd see a rhinoceros in Sycamore Terrace. It was a big surprise to me, too, Daddy. <laughs> Tell me more about this rhinoceros. Well, 
There was fire and smoke coming out of his mouth. You saw fire coming out of his mouth? It was burning like a furnace. And it smoked? Yeah, it smoked all your cigars. <laughs> a rhinoceros of all animals. What made you pick on a rhinoceros? He picked on me first. Snooks, I want the truth. All right, I picked on him first. <laughs> this is the limit, young lady. You've been telling fibs ever since you first learned to speak. Instead of getting better, it gets worse. What I'd like to know is who put all these wild, fantastic ideas in your head? Who put them in my head? You heard me. Well, I was walking down the street and two big witches... Ah, there you go again. <laughs> Do you expect me to believe a story about two witches? Would you believe it about one witch? No. Half a witch? I don't believe in any kind of witches. And listen, you'd better change your story quickly. I will. I was walking down the street, and two big dragons jumped at me, and I was dead. Now, go on. Two big dragons jumped at you. They did? Snooks! I've had enough of this. Me too. Goodbye. Stay where you are. Well, it's now or never. I'm determined to cure you of fibbing once and for all. Now, you failed to bring me the cigars. Correct? Correct. Then what did you do with the dollar I gave you? And remember, I want the truth. All right. Well? Well, a big eel flew right down on me and grabbed it right out of my no, no. That is the most awful, preposterous. Oh, that came later. What came later? I was chased by a big, awful preposterous. It's the eagle I'm talking about. Don't you believe in eagles? Of course I believe in eagles. Then why are you taking off your belt? Because I want to swat preposterouses. Well, <laughs> 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 ah, you're saved by the bell. But only for a moment, Miss Higgins. Oh, hello, Mr. Higgins. Oh, I see you got a new strap. Showing at the snooks? Yeah. Daddy's going to show me how it works. Oh. <laughs> Jerry, this child of mine is an habitual fibber, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. With the strap. <laughs> oh, Mr. Higgins, that's the old-fashioned way. Yeah, that's the old-fashioned way. What would you suggest? Well, I... I'm not talking to you. <laughs> well, there's a big psychiatrist in town. Oh, don't be silly. Psychiatrist? Yeah. Snooks, go wash up and change your clothes. Ain't you going to thank me for being naughty? No. I'm taking you to a man who's an expert at this sort of thing. <laughs> well, what's the matter now? I don't want to get spanked by no expert! <laughs>
there, Jerry. Dr. Klump is using my office while he's here. Oh, thanks, Dr. Anderson. Nice of you to let me see him. Come in. Hello, Dr. Klump. Aha, a post office complex. No doubt a result of stealing pen holders as a child. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a postman. This is my uniform. Oh, sorry. So many people come to me dressed as Napoleon, but they never are. Oh, they're not? No. Oh. Well, Dr. Klump, uh, you see, you're going to see Mr. Higgins and Snooks soon, so I thought I might give you a few hints. Give me a few hints? Yeah, you see, I'm a good friend of Snooksy's. I have no doubt that you're a whiz at playing Jack. Oh, I don't know. A lot of kids can beat me. <laughs> what? Well, all I wanted to do was tell you how to handle Snooks. Well, I like that. I thought you would. See here, young man. Your impudence is definite evidence of the fact that you don't have a brain in your head. Yeah, but... You talk like a moron. And as the saying goes, on you it looks good. Yeah, but... I'm busy, so please leave. Goodbye. Yeah, but... Hmm. Big shot psychiatrist. What you got that I haven't got? A brain? <laughs> oh, I got brains I haven't even used yet. <laughs> Anybody can be a psychiatrist. All you need is a college education. I could have gone to college if I'd have gone to high school. <laughs> if I'd have gone to grammar school. <laughs> he says, you talk like a moron. I should have said, so what if I talk like a moron? I got to talk like one so you can understand me. I should have said I should have said uh, You think you're so smart? What's so hot about that? No, that wasn't good <laughs> I should have said Why don't Yeah, what's the use? Now I think I could be a psychiatrist I could be smarter than that I could be the smartest guy in the world Hey, that's an idea If Jimmy Durante can be the nose And Frank Sinatra the voice I can be Jerry Dingle, the brain. Sure, why not? It's a free country. I'm a citizen. Hello? Yes, this is the office of Jerry J. Dingle, the brain. Questions answered, problems solved, and thinking funk. This week, with every question answered, we're giving away free a snappy retort to a cab driver. Yes? Just a moment, please. Mr. Dingle? Oh, yes, Miss Bentwell. I have uh, three calls on the switchboard Professor Einstein wants to know the cube root of 1,331 mm -hmm. Dr. I.Q. wants to know the capital of Chile mm -hmm. And uh, Leopold Stokowski wants to know the first note of Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony I see, well, I'm very busy, but to put the three of them on the phone, I'll answer them all at once Go ahead, please uh, Eleven, Santiago, and... <laughs> <laughs> Miss Bentwell, I'm very busy. If there are any other calls, put them straight through. Here's another one. All right. Rain Tinkle, I just arrived in Hollywood and would like to get a room for tonight. Could you please help me? Where are you calling from? A phone booth. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Come in. Pardon me, Mr. Dingle. You sent for me. I did? What's your name? My name is Jerry Dingle. Well, that sounds familiar. Oh, yes, you're the mailman at Sycamore Terrace. I've been watching you. You've been doing altogether too much walking. What should I do about it? Sit down. <laughs> now, I've utilized my great brain to devise a method whereby you don't have to do any walking at all. 
Really? Yep. I've crossed pigeons with postage stamps. You paste one on the envelope and it flies right to the person you're sending it to. Gee, that sounds swell. But what if it's a special delivery letter and has to get there in a hurry? Oh, I've solved that, too. I've crossed a pigeon with a parrot. But when it gets there, the parrot raps on the door and says, Let me in quick. Yo, sent me. <laughs> Gee, I wish I could be like you, Mr. Dingle. Oh, you can be, Mr. Dingle. Tell me more about your past. Well, you see, Mr. Dingle, I've always been a little backward. Life was one blunder after another, starting with my first day at school. Jeremiah Dingle, what's your name? Uh, uh, what's my name? Gee, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. I... Jeremiah Dingle, don't you know your own name? Oh, the uh, name. Uh, well, don't worry, teacher. I, I got it written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> Here it is. Well? Uh, what do you know? I can't read. <laughs> For being so stupid, you may stay after school and wash the blackboards. Well, but teacher, what's the use of washing the blackboards? The more I wash them, the blacker they get. <laughs> and that's the way it was all through school, and it's been that way ever since. Tell me, Mr. Dingle, will I always be this dumb? Oh, you can't be so dumb. You came to the smartest man in the world. But Mr. Dingle... You don't look like the smartest man in the world. You look like me. I do. I admit that my hair isn't curly. And I know that my features are plain. I'm not very strong. I have lots of things wrong. But I have the perfect brain. Don't you believe it. <laughs> I'm the smartest man in the world. I can speak in any tongue When I dine I know just what the menu means I can order Julienne crouton La Benedict souffle Can I help it If it always turns out beans I'm the smartest man in the world I can figure income tax And it doesn't cause the slightest mental drop. I can add dependence to the gross times, 30 million bucks. It'll come in handy if I find a job. I can figure out a gadget that'll run a plane large enough to hold a troop on. It'll fly four years on a gallon of gas. Can anyone spare a coupon? I'm the smartest man in the world. I'm a super genius plus. There is nothing that my brain cannot control. I'll go down as the most brilliant man the country ever had since Columbus came in 1462. I'm a self-reliant mental giant very zealous, Einstein's jealous, the very smartest man in the world. Carmen Dragon with his arrangement of I Know That You Know. 
back to Sycamore Terrace, where Dr. Klump, the eminent psychiatrist, is about to come face-to-face with a most interesting case. The case of a little girl whose daddy is trying to cure her of lying. All right, Snooks. This is the doctor's office. Shh. Here he is now. Madam, I wouldn't worry if I were you. As I said, your mental state is merely a manifestation of hypersensitivity sublimated to primeval emotions atrophied by a peace living. Oh, thank you, doctor. Did you hear that, Snooks? There's a man who knows what he's talking about. Do you, Daddy? Quiet. Ah, you're Mr. Higgins, I suppose. Yes, how do you do, Dr. Clum? And you, I presume, are Snooks. I presume... Uh, your daddy tells me you're prone to prevaricate. Yeah, and he says I tell lies, too. <laughs> well, lots of little girls have a tendency toward exaggeration. Not like this little girl. Mr. Higgins, if you please, I have my own method. Now, Snooks, of course you realize that good little boys and girls always tell the truth. Mm-hmm. When George Washington was a little boy, he chopped down a cherry tree, then ran to his father and said, Pop, I did it. Did Popeye do it? <laughs> no. Then why did he blame it on Popeye? He didn't blame it on... <laughs> Can't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Higgins, if you please. Go ahead, she's all yours. But remember, we're here to find out what she did with the dollar bill I gave her. I'm getting to that. It's possible the child's sense of value is unbalanced. It's possible. Not when it comes to money. Now we shall see. Now, look at me, Snooks. I have here two pieces of money. Yeah, they're pretty. Exactly. One is silver, the other is paper. Now, which do you want? The silver one. Oh, that's a surprise. Wrap it up in the green paper. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, just as I suspected. Now we're ready to delve into the child's subconscious. Lie down on the couch, Snooks. (laughs) Yes, sir. Make your mind a complete blank. She's got a good start there. (laughs) Now, my dear, I want you to think back. As far back as you can remember. Way back? Way, way, way back. I'm way back. How far? Last Tuesday. (laughs) Certainly you can remember further back than last Tuesday. How far back can you remember? Why, I can recall the time when I was a kid. What do you think I was last Tuesday? (laughs) Very well. Last Tuesday it is. Now, did anything of importance happen then? Yes. What? I don't know. Snokes, you're not cooperating. Mr. Higgins. Oh, pardon me. I'm only trying to be helpful. I don't need any help. Now, let's try again. Shall we, Snooks? Yes, sir. Now then, just relax and think way back. Are you thinking? Uh Uh-huh. How far back? Eleventy million years ago. Oh, for heaven's sake. Mr. Higgins. Uh, pardon. <laughs> Eleventy million years ago, you weren't even here. There was nothing here but trees, land, and water. Were you here? Of course not. Then how do you know? Yep. All right, Snooks. We'll pursue your line of reasoning. Suppose you were here 11 million years ago. What were you doing? I was waiting in line to get born. (laughs) Doctor, you're doing fine. (laughs) Now, Snooks, I happen to know that that long ago there was nothing but swampland here. Big monsters roamed all around. 
Well, that's what I tell my daddy. You do? Yeah, and he don't believe me. Look, I brought my daughter here to cure her wild ideas, not to encourage them. Mr. Higgins, in non-scientific terms, butt out of this. I'm beginning to suspect that a home environment might be responsible for a condition. There's nothing wrong with a home environment. We'll soon find out. Snooks, do your parents ever quarrel? No. See? They're too busy fighting. <laughs> Just as I thought. Snooks, did I ever raise a hand to your mother? No. See? She gets hers up first. <laughs> Obviously a case of maladjusted home life. Keep your nose out of my home life or I'll maladjust you. Daddy. You be quiet. Higgins, I think you're nothing but a big bag of wind. Oh, do you? Well, how'd you like to step outside? I'd like nothing better. Good, he stepped outside. <laughs> now, we'll get to the bottom of this in my own old-fashioned way. Now, look, you, and this time I mean business. That dollar I gave you for cigars. You bought candy, didn't you? Uh-huh. Well, why didn't you admit it in the first place? Well, I wanted to surprise you. Surprise me? Yeah, because it's your birthday, and I bought you a big box of candy. You bought a box of candy? Uh, my birthday? Oh, dear. Oh, and I put you to all this torture. My baby. My dad. <laughs> My sweet little baby. My sweet little, cute little, wonderful little sweet baby. All right, Snooks. <laughs> well, tell me, where is my box of candy? Where is it? Yes. Well, I was walking down the street when suddenly a big lion jumped oh. out. Ah! Snooks, I hope you'll always remember the importance of this day in your life. You've been cured of pity. Yes, Daddy. Huh. A lion jumping at you and taking your candy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's the afternoon mail, Mr. Higgins, and I brought the late paper in, too. Oh, thanks, Jerry. Boy, take a look at this special bulletin. What's it say? Police and zoo officials are searching for an escaped lion that jumped at a child late this afternoon, snatched a box of candy out of her hand, and... What? Well, what do you know?
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we'll wrap up the week with Dimension X, followed by The Bob Hope Show. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.